Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk of experiencing an electrical blackout. You could be one of them, sitting in the dark and cold for hours, for days, maybe even weeks. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. These things are sweet because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable. Go to 4patriots.com slash meat eater to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4patriots.com slash meat eater. For hunters who are seeking the ultimate edge, Quiet Cat's Apex Pro is the answer. Its unparalleled performance and stealth are designed to enhance any hunt. Quiet Cat is more than an e-bike, though. It's a revolution in how you approach the wilderness, ensuring you can go further and hunt smarter. Save 10% on the Apex Pro and elevate your pursuits when you use code MEATEATER at quietcat.com. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. All right, Bart George, there you are. A month ago? Yeah. Getting uh, bit on the arm by a mountain lion. Lay that all, lay that all out for me. Well, how that all happened. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't thinking about it at the time, I guess, what it led all up to it. But um, we were starting a project. It was the first day of a project with a new crew um, putting collars on cougars in Washington uh, up in the northeast corner an area that I'm very familiar with and feel comfortable running the dogs around. Um, anyways, I was the hound handler that day and had my four dogs and found a nice Tom track. Um, you can tell in the snow. Yeah. We had about, it was, I don't know, just before Christmas, something like that. So we had about eight inches of snow on the ground. Um, found a good track fresh last night and, uh, figured, we were going to pop it up pretty quick, so I put the nosy, the little tiny dog that we hunted with, and then Radar, the big male. Um, I put those. That's the greatest name for a dog in the history of dogs. Radar's a good name. Radar. Yeah. Nosy, not so. Nosy's a good name. If you get to know Nosy a little better, <laughs> you'll agree. <laughs> no, I, no, this has nothing to do with the dog. I'm saying, like, if I ever get a dog, I was going to name my next dog Highball, but I'm going to name it Radar, if you don't mind. Yeah, I don't mind. Put a okay. junior or something, maybe. A ball or radar junior. So there you are, you and Nosey and Radar. Right. Um, so I put those two on the track, and they're 
they smoked it for like four or 500 yards and then they had a loss, which, you know, I'm not able to keep up with them. They get out ahead of me. They're 400 yards in no time. And you got a GPS collar on the dogs. Yeah, I've got collars on everybody. So I'm watching the collar and there's a handful of us now, you know, the state biologist and um, a grad student. And we're trying to figure out what's going on. Like I said, the first day of the project, so there's still some, you know, introductions and that yeah. kind of stuff happening. Like, who, like who's who? Right. Yeah. Can you explain a loss when you say... Well, no, you got to back up before that. When he says watching the collar, you have a handheld GPS unit that shows you where you are and shows you where the dogs are based on the little GPS units that are on their collar. Right. So it's a, yeah, it's a transmitter then from the collar back to my handheld. So... You see yourself relative to your dogs. Like you right. see everybody on there. Right. Yep. I know where all the dogs are. I know where I'm at. And then there's also, of course, the map layer, the road layer and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I'm watching the dogs and they get out, you know, four or 500 yards and they have a loss where, and I can tell it's a loss because they're... Like they lost the track. Yeah, they're moving the track well and you could hear them. Of course, at that distance, they got out of hearing and you're watching the GPS unit and you'll see it where they kind of start circling and doing different things and you can tell they're looking for a track. And sometimes that's because the cat made a kill um, and there's tracks everywhere. Sometimes the cat would, you know, walk out and turn back and walk on its own tracks. Yep. And that'll confuse them and they have a hard time finding an out track there. Um, so anyways, I had one of those going on and it took quite a while. Um, it was a fairly long loss, but they're far enough in where, you know, I could take off and walk to them. But generally by the time I got there, they'd have sorted it out and taken off. Um, so I'm trying to give them a chance to work and I decided to kick Whisper loose, who's kind of the old dog, um, pretty good at lining out a tough track. So I put her on the track thinking that she would get everybody together. But by the time I let her go and, you know, in while she was en route, the dogs split. So I had radar going one way and nosy going another, which is a little bit unusual. <clears throat> um, and when Whisper got there, instead of pulling everybody back together or getting everybody on the right track, Whisper went with radar just automatically. He was probably making more noise or whatever. Um, so those two ended up taking off on a back track, and Nosy turned out to be on the right track. Gotcha. Of course, by, at the time. By itself. Right. Yeah. And, you know, at the time, I didn't know that, obviously. Had no idea. Um, so I'm fairly, still fairly close. I'm within a half a mile of everybody. And... Uh, Nosey's kind of working up away from me and Radar and Whisper are kind of paralleling the road that I'm on. So I'm able to get closer to them and listen and see what they're up to. And uh, while I'm doing that, Nosey starts showing treat. <clears throat> and what's that look like? Um, well, like I said, I can't hear her. She's now eight tenths of a mile away. Okay. So I'm looking at the GPS unit and when the dog sits still for, well, I think 30 seconds or whatever setting you put it on, you'll get a little tree symbol. It just shows your dog's not moving. Yeah. Um, and it shows you how much it's barking. They can, yeah. But Nosy's, um, hers doesn't usually register. She's a pretty... Oh, because you don't get the barks per minute? No. Read out on that dog? No, I don't know if she's just too quiet or what's going on there. She, she barks, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't usually get it. Radar, you know, I get 80 BPMs out of radar anytime he opens his mouth, but yeah, yeah. Nosy, not really. So I'm not concerned that it doesn't show her barking at this point um so i started up towards her hoping you know thinking maybe she's at another loss and she's just not moving or she's sometimes they get hung up why aren't you thinking that it caught the lion 
well, I was hoping that was the case. Oh, but okay. I was still, because Whisper and Radar were on this other track, I was still thinking that they were right and she was still searching, trying, yeah. to, trying to figure stuff out. Um, I don't know. I just trusted the two dogs more than the one. So when you know I got within maybe 400 yards of where she was, and I had Tipsy with me, the young dog, who's, she's, I say she's a pup, but she's, you know, three and been on a lot of cats and knows the routine pretty well. Um, I had her with me in the box, so we got out. I had her loose walking down to Nosy to see what was going on, and I couldn't hear her barking, which then I was pretty concerned because uh, I knew she wasn't treated at that point. Um, so we walked down into kind of a swampy area, similar to where we were uh where we found your cat, you know, there's yep. a lot of tracks around. He's been living in there. Pretty tough spot um, for a dog to work. And we got down, you know, I'm watching the GPS unit and I can see her collar showing like 80 yards. I'm still not hearing her. And then I'm showing, you know, 50 feet and I can't hear her. And so you're thinking he got killed by wolves. I'm thinking at that point, um, well, I didn't know. I didn't know maybe she was in a river down there. I didn't know. Yeah. You know, I've had a dog one time get hung up on a stob, had a collar, go, you know, get a stob through its collar, and it was just sitting there, like, quietly, just waiting for me to come get it. Yeah. So I was hoping something like that, um, but I obviously was concerned. I hadn't seen any wolf tracks yet, so I didn't think wolves had killed her. Um, and got down, you know, 20 feet or whatever, and I'm, it's fairly open, and there's a, you know, the trees are pretty open and they're heavy with snow so all the imagine like a christmas tree that's heavy with snow and it builds this kind of cave underneath of it yeah, right? yep. where it pulls the branches down to the ground so tipsy walks over to one of those and it was strange she never smelled anything she was still so just another one of the around. dogs came and found you tipsy was with me i yeah. had her with me okay and radar and whisper are still working on a trail and knows he's missing at this gotcha, point. you got you got four of them out <clears throat> mm-hmm. so Tipsy starts showing, like, major concern around this tree. Um, she walks over kind of to the entrance, I guess, to this cave or whatever underneath this tree well. And she lowers her level and her hackles go up and she starts this growl. And at that point, I knew what was going on. Um, so I walked towards her to get a hold of her. And I'm sure now, like, okay, the cat's got nosy. He's got her dead underneath this tree. He's probably eating on her. Um, I want to get tipsy out of there before I have a wreck with this cat and her. So I walk over and I lean down to grab tipsy and I'm, you know, six or eight feet away from the entrance to this tree well. And that cat kind of steps towards me and that's the first time I saw him. Um, so I... And how close is now? Six or eight feet away. He's okay, close. Yeah. yeah. He's real close. Um, I still don't see nosy, but I know she's there. Um, so I grab tipsy by the collar and I start you know, hollering at him and I back off and um, kind of put a little angle so I'm not like blocking his way out. And you're not toting a firearm or anything? I didn't have a gun with me. I didn't have bear spray with me because it's not bear season. Um, so yeah, no gun. Um, so yeah, I back off maybe 15 or 18 feet and I'm hollering the whole time screaming at him and he kind of backs it back into that hole where I can't see him anymore. So I put a little bit of angle on that cave entrance so it doesn't feel like I'm trapping him in there and uh i start you know i'm still screaming and screaming he won't come out so i grab a stick and i'm just gonna toss this stick in and you know Try to spook, spook him. him out right um which 
always works. Like if you yeah, throw a snowball at a cat, it'll jump out of a tree or whatever. So I'm thinking, toss a stick at him, get him moving, um, get him out of there. So I break this stick off, and I've got Tipsy on a leash now hooked to my left arm. And I take this stick, and I just kind of underarm toss it over to the tree, and the minute that it hits the tree, he just blows out, and he's coming towards me. And it's close, like 15 or 18 feet, like I said. So it's happening quick. And I'm thinking, like, in my head, I've got this dog attached to me. At this point, the cat's underneath the tree, and I'm like 15 or 18 feet from it. And I I just want to get my dog out of there. Like, I want to get Nosy's body out of there. I want to get my collars off of her. I just want to be out of there. And you um, feel a little sad? Are you feeling sad for the dog? He's like your buddies. Yeah, totally my buddy. Yeah, at the time... There's a lot going on. There's a lot happening. Yeah, um, yeah I wanted to get... I was... Whatever. I figured, I knew that Nosy was dead. I wasn't gonna... You know, I had to get Tipsy out of there safely. I had to get myself out of there safely. And I wanted to make sure I got Nosy's body out of there. Um, so... I take this stick and I toss it at the tree and the cat just immediately blows out and he's coming straight at me. Um, like accidentally or on purpose? Well, that's what I thought, right? Because it, you know, it happens fast, but you're, you know, it's kind of in slow motion in your mind as it's happening. And this cat's coming towards me and I'm thinking, okay, he's, there's snow coming out of the tree and everything else. He's confused, doesn't really know where I'm at. And he just keeps coming and, you know, I've got Tipsy on a leash losing her mind and... I'm thinking the cat's going to stop or turn or do whatever, and it just keeps coming and coming and coming until it makes its big jump towards me. And um, I had her on my left arm, so I kind of turned the right side of my body to him, and he hit me on the right side and knocked me down. Hit you with what? Feet? Front feet, yep. I don't think he ever actually got teeth on me. Um, So he cut me a little bit on the right arm, knocked me down, and I had my backpack on, luckily. So I kind of balled up underneath my backpack. And uh, I think Tipsy was just as shocked as I was because she was still pretty quiet at this point, or she was quiet again. And the cat kind of went to work on my backpack, and I could feel him up there, and I could feel his weight on me and stuff like that. Um, and then Tipsy, I heard the dog fight start, you know, and I don't know if he attacked her or she attacked him or whatever. But uh, So while he's working on my backpack, I hear this big dog fight happening right on top of me. And I, <laughs> I, I they kind of move off to my right side and um so i rolled on my back and now they're all they're all piled up kind of in my right hip pocket and tipsy's hooked to my left arm so it's a weird position to be in and they're fighting and um i rolled on my back and i start kicking him and you know you don't have much power anyway i'm wearing rubber boots and i'm kicking him the best i can and he gets off a tipsy and he starts back towards me and he's kind of right between my legs now and I'm still on my back and I'm kicking him in the face and chest trying to get him away and he's he never like I said he never got his mouth on me but he was hooking my gaiters and stuff like that this oh cause, yeah so you, when you say he has some puncture wounds I thought so you had just like little scratches claw marks, claw yeah. marks yeah yeah little hooks um, so as I'm kicking him kind of off more pushing him away like how many seconds have gone by I don't since know since he made contact with you I don't know um you know, the whole... Closer to one or ten? Probably ten. Yeah. Seemed like ten. I don't know. It was probably ten seconds. I was, it, it lasted longer than I actually expected. I thought maybe he'd just give me a swat on the way by or something, but he was, he was pretty interested in me. Um, I'm glad I had Tipsy with me. So 
I'm laying on my back and Tipsy's on the, my right side and got my left arm pretty well trapped. And uh, he's working on my feet and trying to get up towards my body. And then he stops and he circles around to the left where I'm kind of vulnerable. And um, I turned just enough to give him both feet and just kind of push him away. And that's when I was able to get to my feet. And Tipsy's at this point, she's fighting mad. She's barking and she's, you know, at the end of her leash trying to get at him. So he must be 10 feet away from me or something. And we're just kind of in this standoff where we're sitting looking at each other. And he's in full position, you know. He's down like you would imagine him to be. Like, like in, in a crouch. In a crouch. Is, you know, he's working his tail and he's looking at me. He's pretty focused on what's going on. Um, and he sat there for a long time. This thing weighs how much? 148 pounds. Oh, because you laid it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you know, the, you know, know the exactly percent. how much he weighs. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, wow. So... We're kind of having this stare down for a little bit. And again, that's probably another five or 10 seconds. And, and then he walks, kind of walks the semicircle back towards the tree where Nosey's at. And of course, the whole time I'm screaming at him, you know, and carrying on, make a lot of noise. The dog's barking. Um, where are the other biologists that you're with? They're still... They they're, don't know any of this is happening. They don't know any of this is happening. Okay. Because so, I went in to get Nosey lined out and figure out what was going on. I was going to call them if we were treed. Um, and I had them listen into those other dogs to see what they were doing. Yeah. Um, and they're the ones with the tranquilizer gun. They've got the dart gun. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, he finally kind of walks off, and then he got maybe 20 yards away and jogged off. So I was glad to have him gone. I didn't want him to come back. I wanted to get Nosey gathered up and go take inventory on myself and on Tipsy to see how bad she was hurt. And I walked over to the tree to gather her up, and that dog hopped to her feet. She was, like, buried underneath. I don't know if she was unconscious, and the cat buried her, like, a kill. Yeah. Or if she was just playing dead, and the snow fell out of the tree, and she didn't move. But throughout that whole, you know, screaming match, she never got to her feet until I walked over and was, like, underneath the tree looking for her. And she hopped up. She was in tough shape. She had holes in her head and across her back and back of her neck. Um, but it's kind of a miracle she's alive. You guys saw. They stitched her up. Yeah, we stitched her up. Um, How many stitches? Not very many because they're all puncture wounds. I got you. There weren't any long cuts. Um, so not like gashes, but more like, like tooth marks. Yeah, she's, yeah. Um, up on, you know, he had a hold of the side of her face, the right side of her face, and put a, several holes in the top of her head and underneath kind of on her jawline. And then across her back, she had a bunch of holes, probably from claws. He probably gathered her up that way and then yep. bit her on the head. Um, so she ended up with five drains, you know, the latex tubing drains in her and a handful of stitches, putting those back together. Now, what percent recovered is the dog now? Uh, she's treated several cats since then. Oh, she, so is now, that's, does she have a renewed vigor? Yeah, she did. Or is she like more cautious now? I don't know. I haven't seen her. Well, no, she's she's right back where she was. I don't think she missed a beat, actually. She's had cats bail out of the tree, and she's right on their case. But she's not like more bloodthirsty or... or... I don't... She's always been pretty bloodthirsty. I don't yeah. think she's... I mean, she's a, she's a good little hound. Um, I wonder if she wasn't unconscious, because I would think that would... Are they really bloodthirsty? Unnerving. No, no, she's yeah. not bloodthirsty, but you know, they don't like cats, right? Meaning they like to chase yeah. cats. Someone told me, I Full think it was Floyd was telling me, one of his dogs got scratched up by a lion, and he thought that it came out 
extra excited about running lions. Oh yeah, yeah. They, I mean, hounds aren't real smart dogs. They, otherwise, they wouldn't chase lions, right? They'd be bird dogs or something. Um, Do you? Yeah, I, I totally disagree with that sentiment. <laughs> I don't know. So you guys went back out. Like there was a debate, right? That you should maybe go kill the cat because he's now kind of mixed it up with a person or was that not a serious debate at all? Um, not really a serious debate on some, you know, it's not like I was just out hiking and this cat pounced on me or something. Yeah, you were asking for it. Yeah, I was yeah. knocking on his door. Um, so no, we didn't really talk about like euthanizing that cat. I, you know, Nosey was in tough shape. I was unnerved for sure. Yeah, rattled. Yeah, right. Yeah, it shook me up a little bit. Um, and was that your first skirmish with the mountain lion? Yeah. How many mountain lions have you um, been either like that you treat or were present for the, like how many mountain lions have you like encountered hunting and then in your professional life as a biologist? Oh, geez. I don't know. A lot. Um, more than a hundred. Yeah. More than a hundred for sure. Yeah. Um, and never had a skirmish with one. No, I've never had a cat even look at me. Like, like when this cat looked at me underneath the tree, I should have known that it wasn't impressed. By what, by what it saw. <laughs> um, like it wasn't intimidated. Not at all. No. Um, so I should have known right then. But again, there's a lot happening. I've got my dog under there. And, you know, it's you get a little bit complacent after however many cats, right? You don't think it's ever going to happen. Had you ever heard of something like that in, in your line of work? Um, well, Floyd's buddy Joe got tagged by one. I didn't hear that story. He got his ankle and, and foot all chewed up by one. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but again, I've, he's been run. I mean, he's, yeah. he's treed, uh, I'm sure, in the hundreds, Mark. I heard a story that I thought to be untrue about some guy in the whatever Southwest states that treat a lion. There's two of them. And a lot of times cats will focus on a person down underneath the tree. You know, they'll pick one person out out of a group or whatever, and they'll kind of focus on them. And that's not unusual. Um, but this story went that the guys were underneath the tree and this cat was kind of watching this guy and whatever. When he got the opportunity, the guy turned his back and the cat jumped out of the tree over the dogs and landed on this guy and was like working on him. And I always thought that that was untrue, but maybe it wasn't. Now you're a believer. Yeah, it might be. But with all the dogs around, eh, still, still sounds like a tall tale. This guy, Joe Mitchell, the guy that I'm talking about, the guy chewed up by one on his boot. I think it was a little bit bad. Like he had to have some work done on his foot. Um, oddly, he likes two things, which I think are completely incongruous. He likes running lions and he likes playing golf, <laughs> which is just like, do you know what I mean? It's, he's like, yeah. And, and I was saying to him, but how could you golf? Cause like lion hunting is so challenging and hard. And how could you do something so like kind of benign and, you know, <laughs> like unmasculine as golf, you know? And he said, man, you got to golf all the time just to be shitty at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was. He he felt he found the challenge there. I wonder how that attack went. I got. I got yeah, I he, got he, he, he told me the story. I just don't remember the details. <laughs> but then, so okay, so you guys still want you wanted to put a collar on this lion? No, the one that got you. No, we're over this lion. Like I'm out of there. No, but you were chasing it in the first place to put a collar on it for a predation study, right? So you'd watch where this lion goes, and yep. then he'd see that he kind of hung around the area, and you go in there and see what he killed. Right. Or you had deer and elk wearing collars. That's right. And when they got killed, you'd go see who killed them. Right. So the state has a study going. They're going to collar, I think, 50 elk, 50 deer, and whatever, 15 cougars. Um, 
And that's right. We'll get a point cluster from a cougar, go in and investigate the kill. Uh, that's what the grad student was there for. I think. And this, and so this work, when you got scratched by this cat, that was what you were trying to do. Right. But you guys went back and caught the lion. Accidentally. Really? Yeah. Um, How do you accidentally catch a lion? <clears throat> well, so... Accidentally, the same lion. Accidentally, the same lion. Right, oh, we so were you weren't like out with a vendetta like... No, no, uh, no. I, gotcha. I wasn't after that lion. So, yeah. went home. Were you avoiding that lion? I was a little scared of that lion. I knew Just because he, he was unpredictable. Yeah. Like, they usually go up a tree. He didn't want to go into a tree. Well, with one dog, though, I wouldn't necessarily... I mean, for Nosy to get attacked like that, okay, that's not that unusual anymore. Like, people used to run with one dogs. You don't do that anymore, ever. Because of protect, forest protection. What's that? What do you mean? Like, you're protecting the dogs by having multiple dogs out. Right. Yeah. Cats have... I don't know if cat behavior's changed or whatever. That's sort of the conjecture at this point. Like, people... Bruce used to run one dog. He used to guide his hunts with one dog. And he did it for years um, until the dog got killed by a lion. Um, but... Yeah, everybody's kind of upping the number of their packs right now. And I think maybe we've had three dogs ambush this year by lions. Oh, really? Yeah, so this is kind of an emerging trend with lions. They're learning how they're like developing a different strategy on dealing with dogs. Right, so in all three cases, it's been a single dog that got out in front of the pack. Um, that they perceive a single dog differently than a group of dogs. Right, yep. And, I don't and they know. outweigh them by... I mean, how much, does, how much does the dog that got scratched up weigh? She's 32 pounds that day at the vet. Yeah, and that thing's 148 pounds. Yeah, there's no contest. It, yeah. That's why it's surprising to me that the lion would ever bother to run away from him. Well, you got to think about, you know, lions live out there. It's silent. They're not vocal animals, really. They don't make a lot of noise, um, especially a big solitary tom. He's not making much noise. Um, the only noise he ever hears is like if he snatches a calf or a fawn or something. He hears yeah. briefly. And all of a sudden, it sounds like holy hell coming through the right. woods of those dogs. Burr, burr, right. so burr. It has to be an unnerving, pretty stressful deal when you know a whole pack of dogs flies up on you like that, and they just pop up a tree. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I was telling you this. Like my buddy Remy this year, he was watching some uh, lions on a kill, and some wolves rolled in, and the lion just popped up the tree, took a nap. Right. You know, it's like they've done it a hundred times. Right. You know. And that's and that's. I mean, maybe that's why dogs are fighting more now. Like I said, nobody knows. All the hound hunters are talking about different theories. Theories, you know. Um, some probably maybe, crazy. Yeah, maybe some probably this, reasonable. And this cat being as big as he is, if one wolf rolls in, he can kill that wolf too. Yeah. That doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I got you. Um, so I think maybe he's just sick of getting run off of kills. You know, every time he kills a deer or elk, if a wolf rolls in and takes it from him, he's over that. So um, after a while, he's like, this is not going to work out for yeah. me anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, we don't really know what the deal was with that cat. He, uh, yeah, the way we accidentally got on him, we were hunting south of kind of a main road that day by a couple of miles. And And how how many miles from where the, 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 the scratching occurred? Yeah. Like I said, a couple miles, a couple miles from that spot. I got you. So the next day we went like four miles or the next day we went to a different drainage and caught a cat. Um, I actually called a friend in to bring some dogs because I was like. Stacy wasn't into the idea of me taking any more dogs out. And was, what? Really? Yeah, she was. It, it was like, un- hold on, your wife said you can't use these dogs to run lions anymore? Yeah, there was a brief moratorium on cougar hunting for the dogs. Yeah, there. we had a moratorium on eating black bears in my house after trichinosis. <laughs> I know I know what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. You just kind of waited out. And- yeah, so it took a little while to kind of get ourselves back together. Um, 
and whatever. Yeah, it was unnerving. It was spooky for sure. Like you just don't expect that. And I needed to get my, you know, feet back in the water right away. I didn't want to take a break, but um, yeah, I, w- I was not ready to put my dogs back on a cat just yet. Um, so, anyways, I called a buddy up who's got really good dogs, and we caught a cat the next day. Everything went exactly the way it was supposed to. Um, I did have one dog with me. I had Tipsy that day. Um, all the dogs were safe, of course. We got a dart in him safely, collared, released. Um, everything worked perfectly. So we're feeling pretty good. When you hit that line with the dart, how long does it take for the dart to take effect? Uh, about five or six minutes. Yeah. So um, fairly quick, but, um, you know, if a cat jumps out of a tree and takes off with a dart in it, we have all the dogs tied back, obviously. So it, uh, they can go quite a ways in five or six minutes. So you put the dogs back on them? Um, no. Is that risky because well, the, the cat might fall asleep on the ground? Right, and the dogs chew it up. We can't yeah. have that happen. Um, so the way we would do that is then just put a dog on a leash and track it that way. Got you. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that. At errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, errands has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. Here's the cool part say you're renting a 65 inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55 inch or upgrade to an 86 inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store. Or visit errands.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for. From family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. Comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. 
Are you looking for relentless performance for your firearms? If so, Riptide Armory is the ultimate destination for superior gun cleaning and protection. Riptide Armory offers American-made, innovative products out of Arvada, Colorado. Whether it's the delicate finish of a collectible or the rugged exterior of a tactical weapon, you can clean without risk of damage. Visit RiptideArmory.com and discover the difference true quality can make for your firearms. Riptide Armory, a veteran-founded business. Um, so yeah. You catch another one. Catch another one, go smoothly. Everybody's feeling good. Project's back on track. Um, got our first caller out. Feel good about that. Uh, we go to another spot and cut a, a track. Looks like a Tom track. Pretty good size. And we're monkey. Same day as the other caller. No, the day after that. So two okay. days after the gotcha. dog got attacked. Um, no, no, same day as he caught. No, the day after that one. Okay, the day after so that one. So we caught one. Then the following day we went back out. So it's like whatever Wednesday, and you're saying first collar of the whole study. Yeah. So the 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 attack happened on the very first opening track. morning. It's an interesting way to kick off. Yeah. A study. Yeah. It was a lot of drama <laughs> to start with. Um. So on day three, we go out, we cut a track, and we're, you know, I look, that whatever measured on Google Earth or whatever else, we're six miles from where Nosy got gathered up. So pretty good distance. Two days, cross a main road, you know, cross a big drainage. We didn't expect it to be the same cat. Turned out that it was. Now, how do you know that, though? Well, I hope it is. Because uh, just the behavior of the cat, the size, yeah. the behavior, gotcha. proximity. Um, we ended up on a really long chase. We put, uh, Jared has good, fast dogs. They ran this thing, like, over several drainages. We ended up on a super long chase. Finally you got, say ran, so actually like in pursuit? No, 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 no. Just, no. Lo- Just tracking. He it, was so. a traveling cat. He was a traveler. Yeah, you know what? This is a, this is an important thing, and I know we harp on this all the time when talking about lions. We might as well take a minute now to talk about this. Okay. Now, I'm going to lay this out, and then you, and then you run with it or correct me where I mess up. When, pe- when, people, when you're running a lion track, it's not like, like for the bulk of that, Time. It's not like the lion is thinking, holy shit, these dogs are chasing me. I'm going to go run all around and try to get away. Right. They're way behind him in time and, and in distance, possibly. And for the bulk of the chase, as it's called, the lion has no idea that this is going on, probably until moments before it ends, when all of a sudden he's like, what's that noise? And runs up a tree. Right, but like he's just out doing his business, hunting. Yeah, when traveling. I say when I say we ran that cat for a long ways, we didn't run the cat. We tracked the cat for a long ways. Tracked his past movement. That's right. So you know we're running yesterday's track, and we're trying to freshen it up and figure out what that cat has done in the last twenty four hours. Um, so it might take us all day to do that, um, but by the time the dogs catch up to the cat, the actual chase is probably. Four or five hundred yards. Yeah, like the cat hears the dogs coming, he might get out of his bed and start moving away from the noise. But a cat can't outrun those dogs um, for any length of time. So when he gets jumped, when you know that's what we call the jump, when the when the dogs get him up on his feet, moving or whatever, it's a really fast thing. Seconds, seconds. Yeah, if they if they run, you know, 
five, 600 yards, that's going to be a pretty long one. So okay. once those dogs get a visual on that line, and the line gets it's a visual over. on the dogs, he's not going to think, I'll just run for miles and get away. Uh, no, he could start jumping up giant cliff faces and you know, across yeah, they, canyons. It's real unusual in our country. You know, you hear about that, though. Sometimes they'll, if they climb up a cliff face or something like that, they can get some space on the dogs. Or if they go someplace they can't get, um, that's possible. But again, it's not like this foot race where the cat's you know, just doing all these tricks and whatever. Yeah. Like it might be he's up on a cliff face because he happened to be up on a cliff face. Right. Yeah, the and dogs the dogs track, happened to find him at a point when he was up on a cliff face. Or they track to the base of it and they can't get up it. Yeah. And he's then jumped moving away from the dogs. I got you. Yeah. I imagine it's not too different than if you startle like a house cat that you're not familiar with and it's not familiar with you. Whether it was like with a dog or your kids or whatever, it's like outside and you all of a sudden just like see a cat that's chilling and all of a sudden the cat is just, oh my God, and he runs up a tree. It's right. probably very similar to that, right? right? He just goes from like this, whatever he was doing, loafing around to being sort of surprised and he's like, what's the easiest way to get out of this situation? And that's that tree right there. Right. Lions especially are that way. Um, I think lions, once you get them jumped, you know, I, th- I think they lay and just listen to those dogs come quite close um, before they get concerned. Yeah. Um, but once they realize that the dogs are coming for them, they take off and they probably climb pretty quick. Um, bobcats will outrun dogs. Is that right? Uh, yes. I've had bobcats on chases walk past me at, you know, 10 yards and I've kicked fresh dogs on them and the bobcat still outran us. They have more stamina they, for a long run. They can absolutely outrun a dog and they're a little bit lighter scented so the dogs can't run the track quite as quickly. Mm-hmm. So they have a pretty major advantage there. And bears can outrun dogs, which surprises people. Bears can, they'll smoke a group of dogs. Yeah. So you get the lion. So we get the track. Okay, we got this cat finally starting to, like, we think we're on the fresh end of this track. And this is a huge, you know, it's a 45-minute drive to get back around the next drainage where we can get close enough to even get a signal back on the dogs and figure out what's happening. Okay. This is an all-day deal. Um, So we get this cat in this canyon. We think we're close. The dogs are really moving the track more quickly. um, And then we start getting a tree signal. So we... Start their way, you know, walking down this steep, nasty canyon. The dogs are all showing treed, and then they'll break tree, and you'll hear this. You know, once you're in hearing, you can kind of figure out what's going on. So you hear all the dogs barking treed, like they're looking at it. Uh, it's a different bark. And then all of a sudden, get super excited, and they'll move, and they'll go back to tree again. Gotcha. So, so then you know the lions jump in the tree. That's right. So what you know now. now the, the, the great humorist Jerry Clower <laughs> calls it tapping the tree for some reason that tapped the tree, which means it left its tree in reference to raccoons. Really? Yeah. You don't know Jerry Clower? He used to get up between sets at the Grand Ole Opry and tell hunting stories. Yeah, you should get yourself some Jerry Clower CDs. Yeah, I'm going to have to. Yeah. Most about coon hunting and a lot about dogs. His dog was Highball. Okay. If I was going to steal his name, so now I'm stealing your name. <laughs> Radar's a good dog name. So yeah, the cat's moving and jumping and um, had Jared's dogs on the race again and I had a Tipsy with me and then James brought a dog along. So we have these six dogs that are all 
fast. Athletic. And you're letting all these dogs out because this thing won't get into a tree and stay put. We let it out because we thought it was treed. So I dump, you know, we have all, we dump uh, Tipsy, who, like I said, I still call her a pup. She's been on a lot of cats. She's three. And then James' dog is actually a pup. She's like a year old. Um, so they race down the hill and we hear, you know, they hear him get to the tree. Now there's, like I said, there's all six dogs are there. We think we have this cat caught. It's in a, it ends up climbing a big cedar tree. We feel good about it. Um, the, the state crew shows up, biologists and um, the, the grad student. And we're getting things set up to dart this cat and with whatever, all five or six of us standing around and the dogs and we're trying to get the net set up to catch it if it goes under in the tree and falls. And the cat just finally said it had enough and climbed down out of this huge tree that it was 60 feet up climbed down, jumped over all of us, and then refused to tree again. So now he's just walking and fighting dogs, yeah. which was a problem. Um, and it's just blow down. It's steep. It's getting dark. I mean, this is like the worst place in the world to do this. Um, so we're, at this point, like thinking we need to just get the dogs off of this cat and get out of there before somebody gets hurt or one of the dogs gets killed. And um, so probably took, you know, 20 minutes of, you know, catching the cat on the ground and trying to get dogs gathered. And, then and the you're cat, seeing the cat. Yeah, we're on the cat the whole time. Like, Jared and I are, like, right on him all the time. And we're, you can't shoot it with the tranquilizer because you got to catch the dogs before you tranquilize it. Right. Um, and we want it in a safe spot and whatever. Um, Brian's running the trank gun, the dart gun, and we're just, you know, we're just there to handle the dogs at this point. Yeah. And, which means now we're just trying to get the dogs out of there. Um, we're all pretty well fed up with this cat. And we get, finally get this cat caught in a blowdown and we think we can get all the dogs gathered and just pull them. Um, so Jared slips in to start getting leashes on dogs and um, I'm about 15 yards downhill from them and I'm like still headed their way. And Jared starts pulling dogs out and that cat comes out from underneath the blowdown. And I think it's the first time he'd actually really got a look at us and knew what was going on. And he looked at Jared and started at him through all those dogs. Oh, really? Yeah, it was terrifying. Um, so Jared had one of the, you know, saw the cable leashes that we used with a clip at each end, and it was still clasped. Jared's whipping this cat in the face, trying to get it to just stop. And the dogs are, you know, all over its case, and it's, like, focused on him, which is a weird, unnerving kind of thing. Um, so, yeah. I have my gun with me this day. Um, so I have my gun out, but there's dogs everywhere and the cat's very close to Jared and you don't want to shoot a cat unless you like absolutely have to. And at this point I'm thinking, nah, there's a pretty good chance nobody's going to get hurt yet. Yeah. Um, the cat turns and takes off and he finally climbs up on a leaning log about eight feet high and he's wore out now. He's been, like he's been in like a 20 minute scrap and he's on this log and you can see he's breathing pretty heavily and, uh, Brian was able to slip a dart into him. So we were able, you know, and then we darted him with the dogs loose still, but we were able to tone the dogs and pull them back off once we had a dart in him. Yeah. And he ended up going out on that log, basically. Um, and toning the dogs is... A GPS collar has a, a shock feature and then also a tone feature. So the dogs are trained to, to stop what they're doing if you tone them. So when you train them, they know that the shock <laughs> follows the tone. Right. So once they figure that out, they just... Do what you want when they hear the tone. Yeah, once yeah. they're broke to that, they they pretty much do whatever you want when you hit the tone. 
So we got a collar on that cat that day, which was nice. Um, and that cat weighed 148. Yep, he was a big tom. He's 148 pounds. Um, Broken tooth. Had a busted off lower canine. We aged him at about 11 years old. So he's as old as he's going to get, probably. Yeah. He's, he's on his way out. Yeah. He's probably been defending that territory for half a decade. You know, he's been up there for a long time, seen a lot of stuff. So, again, he... Would you guess that that cat's been treated before? Maybe, you know. what? Maybe. Not legally. They wouldn't. There's no hound season there, but um, I guess back in 2008 and nine, they were doing some uh, hound hunting there. Maybe he got treated then. But yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why he had the attitude other than just being old. You know, kind of like the old man. Like, yeah. Just was kind of over all this nonsense. And how? When you guys go out, I mean, I saw how it happened when we were hunting. But like when you're there, how are you? you know, it sounds kind of like when you say like, "Oh, we caught a check." Like it's not. There's there's more to it than that. Like, how are you guys cutting tracks? Because if you tasked a lot of people and you said, hey, go find me a mountain lion track this morning, they're not going to find a mountain lion track. Yeah, most people wouldn't. Um, well, we have, we have pretty good cougar densities up there. And as winter gets on, you know, they get even more dense. So finding a track, if you know what you're looking for, is not that hard a lot of times. Um, but you're, look, you're, you're working off of deer herds. Yeah, we're looking at winter range. So we're trying to hunt. Uh, or, uh, yeah, we're trying to whatever capture near deer and elk herds yeah um so to find you know like finding this track we know that that area has quite a few deer and elk in it we know there's going to be a cat anywhere there's deer and elk in that area um so we cut the track and then you know the harder part isn't just finding a track the harder part is figuring out where it's at and finding the freshest track we can for the dog's sake yeah um you know yesterday we were hunting and or trying to capture a cat and we ended up getting on what wasn't the fresh end of the track. He'd crossed the road several times and we, you know, misjudged which track was which and the dogs ended up spending all day working and they ended up right back at the road at a track that we already knew was there. So we, gotcha. just, we just messed up. Um, yeah. So the hardest part is figuring out which track to turn loose on, if, even if it's the same cat, to, to get the freshest whatever, scent. Do you like running, uh, let me put it this way. So, in in your life of of chasing mountain lions, has more has more of it been functioning like as a biologist, or has more of it been functioning as a hunter? More of it has been as a hunter, um, for sure, but not necessarily as like a consumer. Like we tree most of the cats we tree are for pictures and dog training purposes. Yeah. Um, yeah, like that thing that surprised me is houndsmen who've chased lions their whole life. How few lions they ever actually shoot? Yeah, well, that's just yeah. How many lions do you really need to kill, right? Like, I don't want to kill a whole bunch of cats. Um, I'd rather chase them and let the dogs get the work and you know show somebody else a cat. It's kind of fun. It's fun to take somebody new out and show them a cat and let them take pictures of it. Wherever it's exciting for people and learn about them. I mean, I, think, yeah. I feel like that the work that you guys are doing. I mean, it's not, it's not like it's been done. A million times before, right? Right, yeah. Like, you guys are going to possibly gain new data that's going to, you know. Yeah, the study that the state's doing is going to be, it's pretty robust. It's going to generate a ton of cool data for sure. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, what you said about hound hunters, like not killing that many cats. Most, 
most hound hunters aren't in it to kill the cat necessarily. We just want to chase it and get the dogs in the woods and stuff like that. Yeah. So when I was when we went out, so I hunted with Bart this uh, December, and we went out like looking to get a lion and kill a lion. Did that feel? Are you like, oh, this is gonna be more fun than normal, or is it just all the same to you? Um, yeah, somebody shooting a cat out of that's pretty sort of anticlimactic. To yeah, me. yeah, like I don't. So I don't you're not like care. excited to go yeah. get a lion. I'm excited to tree a lion, but if somebody wants to kill one, it's just it's a one more step, you know. It's then you got to deal with the hide and the meat and everything else. So, um, it's different than I guess I get asked a lot, like. Well, even Stacy asked me, like, why Why do you have to go kill all these deer? Why don't you just take their picture? Wouldn't that be the same? It's like, well, not, deer. Re- not really. It's not the same. But for cougars, it, it is the same. It's almost more rewarding for me to just get a picture of a cat and let it go. Yeah. But it's not that way for any other species. It's kind of strange for me. I don't, I don't know. Um, but now, nah, somebody's shooting a cat. I don't get that excited about it. Kind of whatever. I know that, you know, a lot, most hunters feel like they want to get a cat at some point in their life. And I get that. I understand that. I've, I've got a big one um, that I killed for whatever, sport. How many years ago? Um, it was a long time ago. It was, it was actually Whisper's first kind of solo cat. And it turned out to be a big, you know, Boone and Crockett Tom. So it's kind of a special cat. Whisper struck it and ran it and treated it. Do you regret killing that lion? No. No, no I don't. Yeah. I think the buildup of wanting to hunt one is real gradual for me. Yeah. You know, like even when I first saw, you know, I saw a handful of lions in the wild. Um, When that first happened, I was like, man, I'm dying to go hunt a mountain lion. But it was after a long time, you know, like almost a couple decades of looking at their tracks, seeing a handful of them that eventually I like, I had to like, like I really wanted to go on a lion hunt, huh. you know? And a lot of it was just to, just to really get a look at one because they're so like, you just glimpse them. Right. You know, it was like, yeah, the moment I walked up on one in a tree, I was like, holy shit. I mean, that's exactly what I said. Yeah. To be like there's one just standing there and it seems like bigger than life. You know, was that the first one you seen in a tree was the one when we were with Bart? Yeah. The one that jumped. And want up seeing him and yeah, you got a lot to see of, him in three good, trees. Yeah, you got a lot of saw good in, lion looking there. Saw him in three trees. Yeah, I've never seen one in a tree before. Yeah. We should talk through that haunt because it was part of the, well, yeah. No, I want to. It was interesting. But yeah, seeing that lion for the first time, it's surreal. So we went out and Bart found the track. We we're hunting in, in the Idaho Panhandle. And the first morning we went, we went out, um, hunting area had a ton of whitetails. Yeah, a lot of whitetails. Shitloads of whitetails. Yep. And, and they the- were, they're not always there, obviously. It was deep snow up above and they'd moved into that winter range. Yeah, like the snow up high, because we later went up high and the snow up high is ball deep. Yeah. And there's deer that spend time up in that zone and as the snow was coming, deer were moving down, we were just finding like concentrations of deer. And you found a track cutting the road. Yep. You found a track crossing the road. Of a traveling cat. Yep, coming out of that high country. And we were on snow machines. And one thing you, that guys, I, one thing you guys did that I thought, thought was interesting was rather than just being like, holy shit, let's let everybody, let the dogs go. You went as best you could, checked a couple other areas where you could get on roads with snow machines 
to see if that if there was an obvious place where that cat crossed another road. Right, that's... And to look for wolf tracks. That's right. There's two parts to that. So we always want to find the freshest track. And, you know, sometimes you can kind of guess. Bruce is very good at it. He's been hunting up there forever. So he can kind of tell you what the cat is going to do, especially if it's on a, you know, big travel. Um, but the second part of that is finding, looking for wolf tracks and sign. And if we have any idea that there's wolves around, that changes, you know, how we hunt that or whether or not we hunt it. Yeah, because the wolves will hear all that ruckus and they'll come kill the dog. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, they get territorial and they hear the dogs coming. That can be trouble. Yeah. And to go check for tracks, like you kind of, some of the roads we looked at were distances of a couple miles from there. And you're just trying to rule out like, okay, he crossed this road too. So there's no sense in turning them loose where he crossed the last road because you're just going to wind up getting to this point anyways. Right. Yeah, the idea is, I mean, ideally we would, be you guys to, call it boxing them in. Yeah, hemming them in, right? Boxing hemming them in. them in, that's right. Yeah, yeah, figure out, you know, one piece of ground where that cat has to be, which we don't usually get that lucky, but... And it could still can, be a huge patch of ground. It might be huge, but if you can knock out, you know, two or the three sides, you have a pretty good idea either that cat went that way or he's still in this basin or canyon or whatever. Yep. So um, it really saves on dogs also. You know, we have whatever, certain number of dogs, whatever. I think we had six on that hunt. Um, if you turn all your dogs loose on the wrong end of a track and they wipe their feet out, like it takes three or four or five days for them to heal up so you can hunt again. Yeah. So we got to take care of them. What was interesting about this track that Bart found was he uh, had a bloody foot. So it was interesting because you could always tell, because we ran into a number of lion tracks in the area. But you could always tell this one Duke's had a bloody foot. Yeah, it was like his right rear or something. Oh, yeah, it was a little bit of blood. It wound up being it was kind of a mess. Like it was a weird foot. Yeah. And um, usually when something like that happens, you expect it to get better. But a couple of times it like bled worse. Yeah, well, as we that icy snow, you know, yeah. he's probably just kept it open too. So we turned out on that thing and nothing happened that day. I mean, they ran a lion. Yeah, a lot happened. <laughs> or they, 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 they trailed the lion yep. and found a lion bed and with a different, remember we caught it. We were like at, right away. We found a different lion bed and a different lion track. That's right. And that caused some confusion for us. Um, you know, a lot of times those cats will get in the spot and they'll start circling and hunting. Um, and we weren't, you know, we couldn't be a hundred percent sure that it wasn't the cat, the dogs were on and they just hadn't gotten to that bed yet. Let's say that cat ran out and did a big loop and, you know, oh, we, we yep. don't know that they're not going to end up back at that bed a few hours from now after yeah, I got a mile you. Like or Like he did a tracking, circle. Right? Yeah, exactly. And so we yeah. didn't really know. So at that point, you're sort of like just trusting the dogs and letting them work work it out. And he's crossing rivers. It was a, That was the dangerous part of that. Which uh, is a pain in the ass because it's... Um, it's like zero degrees. Yeah, the dogs don't... They're not going to smell it where it crossed the water. But it winds up being that they crossed on a log... But it's difficult for the dogs. To, like the dogs aren't agile enough to cross the same little brush jam that a lion's going to cross. And if the dogs go in there, they're going to be in rough shape. Right. Yeah. We don't want the dogs falling in the water when it's that cold. Um, the other thing, I don't, I'm sure you remember, um, is a pain. You the dogs hang up at that crossing, and then we start getting a tree sign, and the dogs are far enough away we can't hear them. 
and it's easy to get excited and take off running down there to see what's going on. Plus, they're near. And then it turns out they're just standing on the bank. Right. The river can't get across the river. But you have to do that because if one of the dogs is actually in the water and you're getting a tree sign, you better get there quickly to get them gathered up. Um, so that first day, we spent a little bit of time just walking and crossing that river several times and having pretty tough time of it getting everything lined out. And then that cat split out of that river valley on a pretty much a straight line. And found another found another bed. Yep. And the yep. bed just is like, he lays on the ground and just kind of melts a little spot into the snow. Yeah, it looks like a deer bed. Yeah, it's on, like at the base of a tree. Yep. Yep. I had in my head, I don't know why, I had in my head that he would be like, it would just be more of a dramatic sight. But it looks exactly like a deer bed. Right. It just seems peculiar to have like a lion curled up sleeping on the ground out in the open. That they'd somehow be more like... Like a cave or, you right, know, like a big crotch in a tree. But the fact, he just is like, oh, I'm just going to lay down right here. I walked up on one sleeping one time in the middle of a logging road. I thought it was a dead deer. I was walking. It was pretty, lo- it was like, you know, 4.30 in the morning in the summer. So it was it's pretty dark, but not pitch black. And I saw this thing laying in the road and I was scouting for an elk hunting spot. And uh, I'm walking up on it and I'm just getting closer and closer. And I'm, finally, I'm like, you know, 10 yards away before it dawns on me that this thing's a it's a cougar and it's sound asleep yeah and it ro- finally it rolls to its belly it must have find, heard me or whatever it rolls to its belly and it just gives me a look for a couple seconds and bounds off the road but what a weird thing it's just yeah. sleeping in a logging road oh yeah they just lay down and sleep wherever i guess like a deer would one of the ones i ran into spring bear hunting um ran into it on a trail it was coming down the trail we're going up the trail and he sees us in books and runs on over to steep ledge. And I ran over to the ledge to see, like to watch him then run off through the woods. And I'm watching, watching, I'm thinking, how could that son of a bitch be so fast that he's already clear of all this area I can see? And eventually I looked down and he just like feet away. Yep. He just went and tucked in under that little ledge. And I'm just standing there looking out over him with no idea that he's just standing down there looking at me. They wouldn't have made eye contact with me booked. Right. You know. But yeah, he just can, he was just like hey, he's just like, I'll just wait till this thing passes by. Right. Yeah, Which again is like surprise just like when you visualize these things, this is not what you how you imagine them operating, you know. But as we're chasing the line that day, what else do you what else happened that day in your mind that you remember? Because I remember it got to be toward dark and you guys really wanted to get the dogs rounded up because it was so cold. Yeah, it was too cold. Um to leave dogs out overnight for sure, which you hate to leave dogs out overnight. So you don't like to do that even when it's warm? Even if it's warm out with wolves and everything else, it's just not a good idea at all. Um, so we, like, it would have to be a really unusual circumstance to leave dogs out overnight. So um, we ended up, you remember, we ended up in that nasty swamp. Yep. And the, just had terrible losses in there. The cat had circled and... There was another cat in there, we think, and there's old tracks and fresh tracks, and the dogs just really had a hard time moving through that. Once we finally got them lined out, they got to that roaring river. Remember, the water was really high, and it was going to be a very dangerous crossing, and we were afraid the dogs were going to get down in that, so we pulled them at, like, last light. Yeah. And then, of course, it's a, whatever, 30-mile snowmobile ride in the freezing cold to get back, so we don't want to be doing that too late at night either. Um. So yeah, the first day we spent, I don't know how many miles we covered or how many the dogs covered. I should have checked. Um, but it was quite a, I mean, it was, a, like I said, a traveling cat coming out of that high country. 
Yeah, I feel like they they moved the track three miles. Yeah, probably three. About like that. Yeah. The next day we go back up there, and you guys didn't want to go in and just go let the dogs go where we quit the night before because of that river. You wanted to do more, kind of like trying to find out if the cat moved more, if he crossed another road. Right. And there was so damn many deer in there. It was hard to like, because there's so many deer like beating trails everywhere. It was hard. You realize you could miss lion tracks. Well, we did. That cost us. Um, Yeah, we spent all day back in that swamp. You and I walked through there and found, um, you know, cat tracks going every direction. Every which way. Everywhere. And dog tracks. Elk tracks were in there. Some moose tracks were in there. And dog tracks were everywhere with them. Um, They just didn't have a good track to follow. There's no obvious direction for them to go. Um, and then when we found that out track, that, I mean, that was the savior. Once we had that, we could, you know, think we, we were moving in the right direction finally. And that was interesting because uh, Bruce, uh, another houndsman, Bruce, he checked some of the same areas a bunch of times and eventually knew there must be an out track and eventually found an out track. And I'm telling you what, 99.9% of American hunters would not have found that track. No, it was. I wouldn't have found that track. It was on top of all those deer walking on. I mean, that deer, the deer in there, it looked like a feedlot. There were so many. Yeah, it did. It really did. It looked like a stockyard. So it It looked. The fact that he like picked that track up on that shit kind of blew my mind. Yeah, you guys. I hung with Bruce a lot that day because I think that's when you guys were kind of walking that one that final kind of side of the box to make sure he hadn't gone. I don't know what direction that was. South, maybe. Anyways, but I was with Bruce, and I can tell you, he ran that one section of the road half dozen, maybe even 10 times until finally he just kind of was sensing something, and he told Gary and I, he's like, you guys just stay right here. Don't drive that stone wheel around anymore because he's starting to think, like, we're going to cover up this out track. And then, you know, I think it was one in the afternoon when he when yeah. he finally cut that track. Yeah, it was getting on in the day when we finally figured that out. And the problem is it's a, it was a small area, and you – you know, you try to hem them in, and you think it's hemmed into this small area, and then all of a sudden you have dogs running all over the place in there, and you're thinking, are these dogs just absolutely worthless? Is the yeah. cat in there, and they can't get it caught? Or, or it's, yeah, but he, or, or he like, an left and then came back in again and stuff right. like that, right. so it's confusing as shit. But then yeah. when he found that out track, he caught loose, then right away your dogs got confused up the hill, and you go up there, and there's a giant freaking white dead white tail. That's right. Yeah, so they ran up with a few hundred yards and find that kill. And again, there's cat tracks all over it because he's been feeding on it. Um, yeah, frozen, pretty much stripped clean, 140-inch whitetail buck, still some meat on the neck, neck twisted around a bunch. Oh, yeah, totally busted and buried. Like he killed like him, a, like, definitely. probably, like, you know, turned his neck and killed him. Yep. Or in the process of dragging him all yep. over holy hell. Probably grabbed him. And he was probably going back, because that wasn't brand new. He's probably like going back into some other line, killed it, and he was checking on it. He just went back to check on his frozen kill. Right. Yeah. Um, and How often do you find kills chasing a lion? All the time. I mean, if you follow lion tracks very long, you're going to find a kill. They're, they're efficient. Either, they're either eating on a kill or they're about to go make a kill. Like If you follow around very long, you're going to find some. Yeah. My friend Floyd, where he talks a lot about the reason he's always hoping to find a kill is because the cat might just lay up. Yeah, we had that last week. Um, we were hunting up there and uh, had a track that was just going all over the place, circling, circling, and we had it hemmed in, 
and there's like a little narrow band of like 200 yards that we hadn't checked. It's like, well, that cat, there's either an out track there or that cat's somewhere in there. So uh, Rick took off, put the snowshoes on, and took off walking the last little bit of this place out. And he gets on the radio and he's like, turn the dogs loose, I just jumped the cat off a kill. So he walked up on this cat and it was just laying on top of an elk. An elk? Yeah. And uh, we were only 300 yards from him, so we opened all the dog boxes and they're all just like standing around like, uh, you know, that. what do you want us to do? And Rick's hollering and finally they got the idea to go to him. And the minute they got to him, of course, they just blew up and ran the cat and had it treed within, you know, 400 yards. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you walk walk the tracks very far, you're going to find a kill somewhere. It's amazing that those things, 140 pounds or whatever, can kill those elk that are four or 500 pounds. This is like a 95-pound female. We just took pictures and let her go. A big, a nice, mature female. You didn't put a collar on her? No. That Why was, not? Uh, that was up at Rick's. We were just... Oh, okay, just... Met. I got yeah. you, I got you. What, uh, what kind of elk? Calf, cow? A cow elk. Cow elk. Yep. Mature? Yeah. Yeah. 95-pound female killed that thing. Yep. So, back to the one we got. You go up there, and it was kind of a mess of tracks. Yeah, there's a lot of tracks around. And you messed around there a long time looking for the out tracks. That's like an interesting thing about running lines is the the dogs are doing so much of this, but there's certain things the dogs are never going to figure out. Like, if if you got a lion and and he kills a deer... And then he like leaves and goes on some big walkabout. Then comes back, eats some more of the deer. Goes on a big walkabout, comes back, sleeps, eats the deer. Goes back to some place he'd been the day before. Comes back to the carcass. And you pick him up on one of those forays, right? And you trail him back into where all of a sudden he's coming back into like the center of the spokes on a wheel. All, I mean, the dog just got to be bewildered by it. And that's where like being an expert tracker a human being expert tracker right. needs to come in and do some like deductive reasoning about what in the world is going on here and That's then right. find that track that seems the most fresh. Cause the dogs like are good at knowing a fresh track, but they're already feeling like they're running it, you know? And they could be going backwards. I mean, they could be doing any number of things wrong. Right? Yeah. Cause the dog don't look at the track and tell what way it's going, uh-uh. which is one of the things that makes one of the other two times I'd gone down to hunt lions unsuccessfully in the desert in Arizona is they, there's not a lot of sand for them to leave tracks. There's a lot of rock, and there's no snow. And the dogs can't tell what way the lion's going. So right off the bat, there's a, even if the dog strikes and starts baying, there's a 50% chance they're going the wrong direction. Yeah. Until you can find a track. And again, that's where it winds up being. That, that, that's why the handful of houndsmen that I've encountered have been the best sign readers I've ever been around, because they find tracks no one's going to find. Yeah, if you can't Floyd does it. it from the top of a damn mule. <laughs> He finds tracks you'd never see if you were crawling on your hands and knees. It's just like there's like a, you look at it so much. You're going to treat very few cats if you can't find tracks. Like if you can't identify tracks and figure out what's going on and when to pull the dogs and when to help the dogs, you're just not going to have any success. No, and a lot of these tracks aren't like, oh yeah, big claws and shit. And a bit, no, it's just like yeah, nothing. Like, like you might see the, the heel or just one part of a track or whatever. And the area is creamed with dog tracks. Oh, that's the in a, at a passing glance, there's a lot of similarity. At a passing glance, yeah. there's a lot of similarity between dog tracks and lion tracks, even in size. Right. You know, I mean, like a passing similarity. On dry ground, for sure. Cat track, cat feet aren't that big. Um, in the snow, they leave a bigger track because they've got a lot of fur and they snowshoe out sometimes. And yeah. Things like that. But when you just see a cat step in 
fairly hard sand. Their actual pads and toes aren't that big. Average average width being, uh, you know, three inches or something. They're not. Would be a tom. Yeah, they're just not huge feet like people think. Yeah. Um, so you went up into that kill area and, and got that sorted out. Once, once we did, had did you that, at that point be like, oh, we'll catch this lion today? Well, I'm like that all the time, but <laughs> um, I, I thought, I knew that our chances just went way up, but it was late in the day. Yeah. That was the problem. And the cat was going, you know, we're, we still hadn't gotten him jumped, but we were tracking him straight up that mountain, up that deep canyon. Which is good because he was finally leaving this, That's what we possibly wanted. leaving this clusterfuck of That's right. deer tracks and lion tracks and dead deer and lion beds. Yep. And- we wanted an actual out track. And the, the, the way the dogs move that, I don't know if you remember the, the noise and how fast they were going, but when they're doing that, you have a pretty good idea that they're on like today's track. Yeah. That's the thing is that what these guys do, uh, we would periodically see a lion track and you'd kind of check it out, walk it a little bit, you know, try to make some ideas about how big it might be and what, what the snow, like whether it had a time for, either there's no new snow fall, snow is always blowing down out of the trees. Right. So you're looking at like, has snow had time to blow in there? Has the track kind of eroded from wind? And the thing I would watch you guys do is you just take a dog. And put his nose in there. Yep. And you could tell a lot about how old that track is by his enthusiasm. Right. Yeah, you start... And they seem to kind of know, like, oh, he's showing me a track. Oh, yeah. No, the, they know exactly what we're doing. And you can start to learn your dogs, too. Um, especially, like, Whisper, my old dog. Been doing that with her for seven or eight years now. So I know what I'm going to get on a fresh track. And if she just loses her mind, it's like, all right, we're going to get this cat right yeah, away. Yeah. It's super fresh. If she's sort of tepid about it, but wants to take it, it's probably you know it's probably that day's track. But if she starts moving it silently, then it's like, all right, we're gonna have some work cut out for us now. Oh, like she's so like, yeah, I'll, start ch- to, I'll humor you and yeah, check this track out, you but can I'm start not to gonna... figure out pretty quick like what the dog, how the dog reacts, and not all dogs are created equal. Some of them just freak when they get one particle of cougar scent. I got you, but they learn to be more skeptical when they get older, or at least that one did. Well, Whisper. no, not necessarily. You just learn. You learn. How they respond. Like their personality. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you got they, that sorted out by that buck, they took off though. Oh, yeah. And Whisper, Tipsy, and Gus were on that chase. And they're fast dogs, especially Gus and Tipsy. Um, and when they start on a fresh track, they're going to get that cat moving and they're going to catch him um, pretty quick. They're super athletic, fast dogs. Um, so that was the right group to have with that cat, especially the way he acted once he was treed. Um, yeah, when they lined out from the kill, though, I had a pretty good feeling that we were going to get him up. I just did, was hoping it was still because was still shoot, has was some daylight. Light, you know, where we like right at the summer or right at the winter solstice, so you had like you know very short days. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, everybody you know who hunts waterfowl is always very aware of like legal shooting light, mm-hmm. but you know, spelled out, Alaska doesn't do it because the days are so weird and the light periods are so photo periods are so strange. But yeah, I mean, you got to find that thing. You could find it in perfect daylight, but you can't shoot. Right. I should say perfect daylight, but you yeah, could you find could make, it in light that you could shoot in, but it'll be illegal for you to do so. Yeah, for sure. It's different than like a deer that's 150 yards away or something that at the same time, you wouldn't be able to make the shot. A cat's in a tree. I mean, whatever. Yeah, you're going to find a way. Yeah, you if can you shoot to. it if you want it to. Um, but, and you can't, but you can't put artificial light on it either. Mm-mm. Yeah. No, so. Not that it would matter because you can't legally do it at dark anyways. Right. But it's not like predator hunting, like coyote hunting area where you can use an artificial light. You can't use an artificial light. Nope, nope. Um, 
Yeah, so once the once they lined out like that, we had a it was a little bit of a race against time too to get that cat in a tree and make sure we can get to him, which you know, we had to drop back down off that mountain and snow machine all the way back up to the top and then come down the yep. mountain to him. And we got we got to that thing. Now, it had snowed a lot and it was like a pow, like a fine fine powder and it was not a breath of wind. So all that snow is is hanging in the trees. And it had just been like consistently very cold, consistently not windy. So like the entire snow load, when you're under like a canopy of big trees, it'd be almost like bare ground. Yep. You know, just yep. like a dusting of snow. Then all that snow is still up in the trees. And when that line, we show up there and he's up in the tree. I don't know how high he was. He's pretty high up in the tree. Yeah. But he was on that steep hill where you're almost looking straight at him. Yeah. From- I was eyeball to eyeball with right. him coming down the mountain toward him. Yep. And... He was fine with the dogs blown. We showed up and he pitched out of that tree and it's like, it's stuck in my mind as one of the most surreal things I've seen. Next to a time I had a mountain goat fall 1,200 feet off a cliff and standing above it watching it go was, is like locked in my mind. But the way that thing just bailed out of that tree and sent down a shower of that powdered snow and hit the ground at a full tilt run. Oh yeah, it didn't mean anything to him didn't like with yeah it was just like like he does it every day if he needs to he sort of like rode the boughs and then this sort of like cascade of powder you know almost like just snow everywhere man he couldn't have planned it better though to get away from those dogs like imagine being a dog underneath there and just getting all that powder in your face oh yeah but he (laughs) bailed out over the dogs oh yeah now he ran right and then he hit a downward slope and just hit it like at a full tilt run he was going as fast as he could and the the bigger problem was he was running his tracks from about five minutes earlier. Yep. And I thought we'd lose the line because then he was headed right back down into the That's right. Into where he came out of. And it was getting yeah. Followed his own followed his own set of tracks down. We have never lost a lion that way. And I was thinking that that might be the first time. <laughs> and it was gonna be Yeah, because really, you guys all the time were telling me, Oh yeah, he might jump the tree, but he'll he'll only go three, four hundred yards. It was gonna be and really we started chasing that thing and like a mile later I'm like some bitch is still running. Yeah, I even I looked over and I was like, Oh, don't worry about it. It'll be we'll have him treating four hundred yards and then eight hundred yards yeah, later. Running like, our asses off. Oh yeah. And he gets in another tree. We show up there and and, and you can't you can't shoot the lion in the tree with the dogs on the loose because you don't want the lion to come down out of the tree and fight the dogs. Right. Yeah. You don't want to blow him out of the tree to the dogs. Plus, you know, 99% of the time you have time for, you know, people to get pictures and you get the dogs leashed and tied back where you want them and you plan this thing. So it's a very controlled situation most of the time. Uh, With your cat, it wasn't, he didn't want to stay up at all. No, he bailed out of that tree in a, an amazing shower of snow. And then that time he did like you were saying, went three, four hundred yards and climbed up another tree. We got in there right at dark and he did not seem like he was going to stay put in that tree. And when I was thinking about all this, like when I was thinking about lion hunting, going into a lion hunt, there's always this idea that, and people say it all the time, people who, who, who think that, you know, whatever, have like a, a misguided opinion that there's like no challenge to lion hunting. Because they, they think of like, in their mind, the hunting is the shot, Right. Yeah, the challenge, like, like the challenge in hunting is making the shot. Right. But the challenge in lion hunting is reading, finding a lion in the first damn place, which is like, again, people are like, oh, we caught a track. And it sort of seems like, oh, yeah, you caught a track. Easy peasy. It's not. No, it's not. It's not like finding a deer track. No. You know, there's a lion at the other end of the, 
the track once you find it, but finding the track can be tough. And we've had we've had weeks where we didn't find a lion track. Yeah. When it's cold and they're locked down on winter range and they're just not moving very much. We've like literally gone an entire week without cutting a track that we could run. Yeah. So it's not, you know, it's not necessarily easy to find a track, although we were finding quite a few while you were there and, um, you know, the cat population's pretty good up there. So finding a track isn't necessarily the hardest part up there, but, um, it was the densest lion sign I've ever seen. Yeah. In that area. Well, but we caught them on that move too. Yeah. We, we caught them. You were really saying it was like per- perfect conditions, it was you know, perfect. just snow coming in, yeah. a lot of deer. But in, in, in like in anticipating going on a lion hunt, a successful lion hunt, I'd always been like, I really was interested in participating in and in, in watching, right? Experiencing uh, how houndsmen work, which I've developed a lot of respect for. The sign reading capability of a good houndsman, right? The athleticism of the dogs, like just see all this play out. I always had a little bit of trepidation or, you know, like a little bit uneasy about that you'd get here and here's this, this like amazing animal in a tree that you don't get to really see, you don't get to really ever look at them. And then you'd find it in a tree and, then you, and, it, and the time would go by and you almost became like familiar with the lion in some way. And then I was afraid that, um, not afraid, not that I was like, not that I'm afraid of myself arriving at any kind of conclusion, but I was open to the idea that I would find the lion we would catch the lion and then I would be like, man, I don't want to like, I don't, this is, I'm good now. That was my lion hunt. No need to get a gun involved in this. Right. But I think that after like, after jumping it out of the two trees and then finding the third tree right at dark and he was not going to stay in that tree, it wound up being like a snapshot. Yep. Let's get, there this. was no yep. sort of like thinking about it. You don't want to be like, there he is. Bam. You know? Right. And it wasn't, I, I had in my head there was going to be this sort of big, like, uh, like emotional wrestling match about, like, like everybody says, like, shooting the lion out of a tree. There's a story I told a hundred times. I'm going to tell one more time. Um, I got a friend who, who built this deer blind that he calls the condo, okay? And, and uh, he bought a bunch of old pulp land. And he, and he built a blind that you can pull in and park inside a garage, and then you go upstairs and it's the blind and it's wrap around benches, lead sleds, okay? Rolling office chairs, electricity, and radiating out from the condo are like, like laid out like Washington, D.C. are spokes of shooting lanes planted as food plots. Oh. So you're in the center of the wheel and there are spokes going out that have yardage markers <laughs> on them. Okay. 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 And he's like made the desert bloom out here where he's got like deer in a place that traditionally wouldn't have shit for deer, like pulp land um, in the Southeast. But he, like with all these food plots, just deer just come in. Okay. And we're sitting up in the condo seeing if some buck that, you know, they know about by name, right. Would show up. I'm telling them about how I'm going to go out to hunt lions in Arizona. I think at that time was the second time I was going to go. And I'm telling them, man, you know, it's just like really frustrating because, you know, there's no snow. So you, you, know, you got to like just take out and just kind of free cast with the dogs in hopes that the dogs are going to smell a track and make the right noise that the dog's owner's like, that's not a bobcat, that's a lion. They're going to take off. You're going to do some deduction about like how you know how lions move through the landscape to try to figure out what way the lion's going. 
Then you're going to follow those dogs studying the ground for a freaking track to figure out if you went the wrong way or not. Then you got to size the thing because you don't want to run a female. You're trying to run a male. And it could be a bobcat and all this shit going on, right? And you don't know when the thing came through anyways. Right. And then I'm telling him all this. And in the end, you know, he's standing there like in his swiveled office chair saying, I just don't see the challenge in shooting some lion out of a tree. <laughs> you know, and it's like so much like a perspective issue. Because I'm like, well, a lot of guys might look at what we're doing right now and just really fail to see the, the challenge. challenge of <laughs> right. shooting whitetails out of a house. You know? Interesting. But it's like a perspective issue. But it was messing with my mind, this idea that like, you're going to like shoot it out of a tree, which is sort of like a very loaded... It's like there's fish in the barrel and there's shit yeah, in the tree. You right. know what I mean? It's not a, again, it's not about the shot. Though. No, you it's, even told me that. And you said something interesting, interesting to me too where you were, I called you up and I was like, just trying to figure out, you know, I, like I'm like, you know, this is a goofy question, but uh, what do you imagine toting for a firearm? You know, because I'm thinking I'm just going to bring like a light caliber scoped rifle. And you had said something to me like about You've you've seen it happen, but you had like a, 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 a an opinion about bow bow hunting lions. Yeah, that's a weird thing, and I don't know. I mean, whatever. People are good with their bows, and bows are super effective. When people shoot a lion with a bow, it dies in the tree and it comes out, and you know it works. Um, but it's weird to me when somebody goes on a hound hunt and like enters their cat in a Pope and Young record book because they got it with a bow. Yeah, that's what you said to me. So you, you didn't get it with, get it with a, bow. a bow. You, you got, got it with dogs. dogs. Yeah, you. You know, it's, like not like, it's not like you snuck up on it in its bed and shot it or something. Yeah. It's, it's, the shot isn't what should matter at like all. Like the getting it's, has already happened. Yeah, it's got. Like you got it. Yeah, it's caught. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, pulling the trigger on the cat is sort of the whatever the anticlimactic part of the. Hunt. Yeah, I thought it'd be, but it wanted to be on this. Yours particular was, situation that wound up feeling very different than what I imagined it. Yeah. You know? And, it, and then I was like, it was, I was like so happy. Um, yeah, I was like really, I was really happy to get the line. It was, and, and, and it was funny because I now say to people, you know, people be like, oh, you're going to, I'm like, you know, I said, that's probably like the, is the first line I ever got. And I would uh, guess, uh, I'm imagining it'd be my last line. And people are like, oh, you, well, you didn't like it or something bad happened. I'm like, no, I just, it was like a thing I really wanted to do. Um, I did it. It's just different than hunting deer and elk. I think, yeah. I think if you went, you know, you're always welcome to come out and chase cats with us. I think the next cat you tree, you're going to look at very differently. Yeah. And that's probably, you know, I have a hard time explaining that. Like people always like assume that hound hunters are just killing every cat they tree. And now, you know, the shot is like you said, it's just like, eh, whatever. I don't care if that cat dies or not. I don't want it to die really because I'd rather chase Observe that thing it. again next year. And yeah. 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 Get pictures of it and get a look at it and just let it go. Yeah. I was surprised talking to your friend, Bruce, I was surprised about that. The quota systems, like the idea of managing lions as a big game animal and not managing them as a like varmint. Right, because right. so, some states still do have like 365 day a year season, and they manage them. They don't manage them. They're like Just get kill. them off the landscape to avoid livestock depredation. Right, and that's kind of their approach. Some states, Idaho, Montana, some other ones, manage them as a big game animal, where they're making like population estimates. The lions are famously 
hard to count. Um, they make population estimates on lions and they try to figure out how we can maintain those populations or in, in some cases probably even grow those populations and they do it with having female quotas right? or permit draws. There's a lot of areas in Montana you got to draw a damn lion tag. Oh yeah, it takes time too and it's like they're competitive. Yeah, like there's areas I put, I put in for, before this hunt, I put in for an area a couple times and didn't draw the tag. Right. Matter of fact, I put in for lions three times in certain areas and never draw a tag. There's also some over-the-counter ones but it, some of those over-the-counter areas have a female quota and a total and a total cat quota. Right. That's a good way to manage them. Um, you know, I hound hunters have pushed all those quotas. That's that. that yeah, that's what I was trying to get. Bruce tell me like the yeah. history of that. That, that yeah. came from hounds. Yeah, that wasn't anti hunters that wanted a female quota or a hound quota or a, a cat quota. It was hound hunters, and the reason was the people were killing too many cats, and we wanted to have something to chase. Um, so you know, we kind of led the way on that protection, and yeah. it's worked. Like there are places that have huge deer and elk herds and really healthy lion populations where you can expect to cut a track every day. Yeah. Now I put a picture of the lion I killed. It was like a, it was like a good representative example of a male lion. It was like a, like a, yeah, not a nice cat. Yeah. So I put a picture of the one up there in, uh, on, on Instagram and it got, you know, like over like well over 9,000 likes on Instagram. So it was like a lot of people looked at it and they're like, Oh, that's cool. You only got a lion. Um, there's a lot of like, not I don't want to say blowback, but a lot of people being like, really like, being wanting to know more. Are you going to eat that? Big <laughs> one. Why are you holding it up like that? Oh. Okay. So a guy was like, you're not a guy. And this is funny. Um, my wife even pointed something out because she was kind of looking through him because she's was conflicted about this whole thing too. Uh, where people were like, why would you hold it up like that? Like, you don't strike me as a big like trophy shot grip and grin guy. And I'm like, well, that's not true. Because I put up shit all the time with people with animals. All the time. You're just viewing this differently because what it is. You know? And people like being like, well, why do you, why do people pick the lion up and hold like that? It seems like disrespectful. Like, how else do you, I, I understand. I mean, I guess you know I mean? like, I and the guy understand. was like, where does that come from? Why do people hold lions up by the armpits? Cause it, cause it just, when they're laying on the ground, you can't tell what's going on. That's there. right. It's the more, it is a definitely like the traditional, whatever you want to call it, hero shot or whatever yeah. you call it. You know, it's like grabbing a deer by the antlers and standing back and taking your picture or whatever. But I think people like people, a lot of people wanted it to be that I was super sad that I got a lion. I'm like, if I was super sad that I got anything, I wouldn't go do it. Right. It's like, you, I set myself out to do something. I'm going to do it. Looking forward to having the lion's rug. I'm looking for. I'd, I'd eaten three damn lions without ever killing one. Yeah, okay. good. Yeah. Like guys would give me lions or got lion meat. One time I got a whole lion from a guy. So I'd eaten a bunch of lion meat. It wasn't like I was entering unfamiliar territory there. So I'm looking forward to having you know the lion meat. Again, it's not like hundreds of pounds of lion meat, but it's like a novelty. It's a really nice break from red meat that you get off deer and elk. Right. So I'm like looking forward to that. Looking forward to the experience. I'm in an area where lions are like well-managed through a yeah. season structure. There's a lot of lions. But people are like, wanted it to be that you were real bummed out that you got a lion. And if and there is a thing in hunting where there's like a remorse factor now and then. Or like, or like a, there's like a, there's a kind of a solemn thing with doing it. But I think this idea that, that, um, that you would, anyways, why, why would you want to go do something that made you so depressed? I was like happy to get the lion, so I'm happily holding up the lion. I'm not gonna like pretend to be all like, 
you know, yeah. caught in prayer right. over this dead lion as though I did some horrendous thing. Like ran someone's dog over with my car. It just wasn't like that. It was like I intentionally set out to get this lion. I'm happy about getting the lion. I want people to see the lion. I'm going to hold it up and be like, check out this lion. The same way when I got married, I was real happy to have gotten married to my wife. And we had a dude there taking pictures of us being married. Because it was like a good thing that we planned out and it happened and we were happy it happened. But it just killed some people to be that there's a dude happy with a lion. People are strange about lions. Lions, predators in general. <laughs> I mean, imagine if you were doing it with a wolf, right? It would be the same. Oh, you would have heard the same thing. It would have been the same thing. Just predators or, or I don't know. I hate to even call it like a non-traditional game animal, but whatever. People have been eating lions since people and lions coexisted. There's a couple things people trip up about. They're like, I can't imagine eating another predator. And I think that they're saying something different because they're like, you know, we're, um, we're omnivores. Yeah, they're a predator, but I don't think you really don't want to hunt them because it consumes meat. Like, I don't think that's really what you're talking about. Other people say like, oh, they're so old, but a old, like a bull elk, a big giant bull elk is potentially going to be older than like a, a, a cat that one would hunt for and get. Oh, for sure. Because you guys estimated based on tooth wear and other things that the right. lion I got was six years old. Yeah. A giant bull could be right. seven or eight years old. So it's not the age thing. I had another guy point out, that, uh, a friend of ours pointed out once, I think we actually discussed this, that he was like, we we're trying to be like, why would, he was like really upset about the idea that someone would shoot a wolverine. Not that I've ever shot a wolverine. We were having a discussion. He's like, oh, they travel so far. I'm like, yeah, but caribou travel a lot farther. There's caribou that migrate a thousand miles. So it's not traveling. Because we just shot a caribou and that didn't bother you at all. It's something different. And I think people are really like struggling. Like, why is it different? There's 30,000 lions in the American West. Yeah. If you go look, the, like if you go look, it's international conservation status is as, is as low as you can get. It's a species of least concern. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. Here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. 
let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. Comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide Armory's products are military and professionally formulated and approved, featuring a groundbreaking graphene-infused ceramic coating that is safe for all surfaces, providing unmatched protection for any firearm. Discover a new standard in gun maintenance. Order your advanced cleaning kits today at RiptideArmory.com. Riptide Armory, relentless performance for your firearms. Yeah, I think there's as a misconception. As... Like people think that lions are really rare. I hear that a lot. Like, oh yeah, people think we're They're like so almost rare. out of them. And a, a lot of that, if you hop on, you know, any number of sort of activist websites, they'll tell you that they're rare. Like. They're extirpated from 70% of their historic range. Yeah, well, but elk, elk are gone from 90% of their range. That's right. There are no lions in Illinois than they used to be. Yeah. Like, I understand that. But in the Rocky Mountain states, we have a lot of lions. They're not going anywhere. It's a well-managed population. Um, no, in the IUCN status, like the inter- international conservation status, I always, it, it, I, was, I always feel that when I look at stuff, I sometimes feel that they're a little bit jumpy. Like they give things status, like conservation statuses that are unwarranted. And I even was talking to Giannis on the phone. I'm like, I guarantee lions have like a critical or whatever status. But you go on least concern. There's the le- they're a species of least concern about vulnerability. It's good. Lions, people, people come up with weird stuff. People there's just a bill, get really upset about that shit. There's a bill right now in what, Arizona. Arizona. About, yeah. They want to eliminate the lion hunting season to let, because they're killing deer and that's a public safety issue having too many deer or some ridiculous Yeah, thing. it was a guy and, and of course, it's, it's, it's like, <laughs> of course, he's, he's, a, he's a Democrat and I knew the minute I saw that bill, I was like, that's got to be coming from a Democrat. Um, not to bash on Democrats, but just it's like, you don't see a lot of anti-lion hunting legislation coming out of Republicans, right? They tend to be more like biology-friendly folk when it comes to big game management. But this guy, uh, we're having too many deer and elk on the roads. We need to stop hunting lions in order to reduce deer and elk because it's a public safety hazard. Now, that man is not motivated by road safety. That man is motivated by some people, constituents or donors who got a real bone to pick with lion hunting. And rather saying, can't hunt lions because people really like the idea of lions and feel and, and relate to them in, in the same way they relate to house cats or whatever. Right. Um, so we don't want anybody killing lions. You can't say that. You got to like try to sell it to people on some bogus shit. Right, like public because, safety thing. Because right away, Bart pointed out to me, there's a time-proven way of getting rid of excess deer and elk in a very targeted fashion called hunting seasons. Right. 
and anyone who's hunted in Arizona knows that tags in Arizona are not a gimme. Yeah, if there's an overpopulation of deer, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind isn't to like protect all the predators. It's like, all right, let's address this overpopulation of deer, like through whatever a hunting season. Or no, it's like else. code language it's, bullshit. Yeah, it's totally. Yeah, it's a, a guy. But people are weird. Like I said, people are strange about predators, predator management, especially big ones. You know, they don't worry about coyotes too much, or even like bobcats. They don't get too excited, but like wolves. Uh, cougars and now grizzly bears this whole conversation yep. has gotten big people and a lot of the strange. most vocal advocacy tends to come from the people who are least likely to run into one. Oh yeah, yeah of course you want a, a cougar hiding in every tree if you live in west seattle yeah right because you're never going to see one anyway yeah i was talking about like new jersey cat ladies you know yeah are getting fired up on behalf but i think it is i think it's like a you know, there's a different, like a different, a physiological difference between predators and prey is, uh, you know, your eyes are centered on your face and, you know, lion, what, what it does is when your eyes are centered on your face, um, you know, you can focus on stuff. Like you're focusing on something you're going to pounce on. Like a deer, he's got like, think of an antelope or a deer, like their eyes are way out to the side of their face. What they're doing is just scanning all the time and they can see almost behind them. And when you have eyes that are, Focus, like when you have eyes in the center of your face, you're really good at staring at something. And when you see a cat, like if you ever watch a house cat kind of dodging its head up and down and side to side, he's doing like a depth perception thing. He's calculating a distance for a leap, you know? And a prey animal just is incapable of that kind of shit. They're really good at detecting movement all over, but they don't focus on any particular thing at all. I think that people maybe see those front facing eyes and empathize with it more. We don't have a lot of. Because we have it. Yeah, we have a predator eye. Many, we have predator how many, eyes. How many prey animals you see getting walked around the neighborhood on a leash? Like, yeah. People just don't. That could be it too. Like, like people don't divorce wolves from dogs, which, which taxonomically speaking isn't unreasonable. And people don't divorce lions from house cats maybe. Maybe, yeah. Or it's a, or it's a thing that like they Like I said though, they've sort of divorced coyotes from it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think it's the perceived rareness maybe. I think a lot of it is that I think people, yeah, when they think that like we're out there killing the last cougar in North Idaho, uh, it's easy to get behind, you know, sort of that anti-hunting action. Yeah. Whether it's just hitting a donate button or whatever else. Um, but in the case of cats, we're seeing like an unprecedented explosion of lion range. Um, like yeah, there's, lions no, are moving eastward. Out, yeah. It's almost like it just took them a while to figure out how to cope with people. Now they're like, they're recolonizing old places. Well, and I think there's also a lot, people are more tolerant of predators than ever before. I mm-hmm. mean, you're probably talking about the Black Hills. Yeah, like, yeah. Population. So I South mean, Dakota had kind of like been out of them and now they got, you know, they're running a hunting season right. down there. But, it, and a lot of that has to do with exactly what you just said, the hunting season. It's not a, a varmint anymore where, and you know, the rural communities are, there's not as many ranchers. There's not as many people out farming and out yeah. in the woods as there used to be. Um, so there's, you know, maybe less opportunities for them to get shot at. Yeah, and then you can't, and then the other thing is we're not poisoning anymore like that. And in the old days, you would take a animal, you'd take like an old mule out or whatever and shoot it and then inject it with strychnine before it died. So the strychnine would pass through the circulatory system and the whole animal would be tainted with a shitload of strychnine and then that would be sort of like well, whatever eats that is dead and we did a lot of damage on predators yeah I mean that's kind of like 
largely we lost a lot of grizzlies that way, a lot of wolves that way in the old days, just poisoning programs. Right, yeah, I think a lot of people have the idea that wolves were hunted to whatever extirpation in the 48, and it was a lot more than that. You know, obviously bigger picture stuff with habitat loss yeah. and prey loss. And but wolfers, like the old wolfers, commercial wolf harvesters were poisoners. Yeah, you hear about that, like the little wolf bombs or whatever with the little feather on them and the strychnine that would poof out yeah. and kill wolves almost immediately. Yeah, they were they like were like ran like they ran basically a strychnine trap line, you right, know, in the old right. days. After the kind of like after the buffalo time, a lot of guys went to wolfing. And then we ran bounties on them. So up until the nineteen sixties, I think Montana had a bounty on lions. Yeah. And then there was this kind of this epiphany where, you know, again, coming from Houndsman and others, where they just made a radical switch. Like instead of paying people to kill mountain lions, we're going to have people pay us to do a limited amount of hunting for mountain lions and we're going to find like a place in our heart to have the animals on the landscape. The houndsmen are the last guys that want to see lions get down. Oh, for sure. Actually, it was funny, yeah, <laughs> talking about like letting cats go. Um, I've told you about like seeing cats and talking people out of shooting them. I've taken moose hunters a couple of different times and had cats. we watched a cat come down to a stream and taking a drink and this moose hunter was like, oh my gosh, there's a cougar. I want to, you know, I'm going to shoot him. And I'm like, nah, let's see if it's a Tom, you know. Because you haven't caught it. Yeah, I don't want him to shoot that cat. (laughs) What for? Um, So I kind of talked him out of it. The cat got away, of course. And the other day, Bruce is riding the snowmobile and he comes around the corner and there's a bobcat sitting in the road and he has a gun on him, you know. So here's his bobcat and he's like five yards away from it. It moves aside and he rides past it and then he stops and he sees a pair. There's a second bobcat on a deer kill right below the road, like 10, oh, yeah. like 10 yards away. So here, here's this, you know, hound hunter, hunting guide, all this stuff. And he's sitting there looking at these two bobcats. He's armed and, you know, obviously he doesn't want to shoot them. Like, because he hasn't, he didn't catch it. Yeah. What's he going to do with that bobcat, right? Yeah. So he comes back and he's like, oh, there's a couple bobcats up there. We could go turn loose on those and like take a chance at them. Um, but it's just an interesting way to look at it. Like, yeah, I don't want to, yeah. why would I want to shoot a lion without catching it? Do you think you'll ever shoot another lion? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure I will for, you know, control stuff or whatever. No, I mean, just like a hunt, you know, no. like a big game no, hunt. No, 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 I'm not going to. Really? You just know you won't. No, I've got, no, I'm happy with the lion I've got. Would you do, are you itching to do a lion hunt, Yanni? Itching, no, but I'd like to. <laughs> but it's not an itch. No. What's your feeling about it? Like, like where you at on it? Um, you know, I kind of, if I had an itch, I could definitely kind of scratch it by going on that hunt, you yeah. know, and definitely seeing that cat. I'd like to go on more. I mean, I've got a couple friends in Bozeman that are running cats and are, you know, sometimes killing them, sometimes not. And I've been invited to go out and I'm going to try to make that happen just to go see another lion. Because again, just seeing a lion at, 30 yards is special special it's crazy you know um but yeah i don't know i mean yeah the meats like you said the meat's kind of like a novelty it's actually great great meat i mean we served it christmas day at my house in-laws there oh yeah yeah. the old in-laws with it all right dude they loved it (laughs) i was i was like really serving it like you know trepidation like yeah i don't know man and i mean that stuff hadn't even been like chopped up we just took the lid off the dutch oven and there's my mother-in-law sticking her fingers in and is like mm, it's like the best pork 
you know, roasting. Oh, is that right? Hat. Yeah, it was awesome. Like, it got gobbled up. Like, it's really, really good eating, you know? But I wonder if that's not part of the reason that, like, people have that big problem with the wolf and the mountain lion because it's just not known as, like, a common food source. Yeah. But it's not, it's it just, the, the food thing is kind of novelty. Like I, I, like, I think of myself as, like, I kind of, in large measure, like, live off deer meat. Yeah, for sure. Deer, moose, elk. Like, I got, like, it's, we are always eating deer meat. Yeah. So someone would say, like, you know, kind of here's this thing. predator. What this predator focuses on is he eats a lot of deer and elk and moose meat. Like, he eats a lot of ungulate meat. It would be weird. And then you... now and then, I'll have, like, these little bonus things. But I when I sort of, like, map out my future meals, you know, I just imagine that I'm, like, a being that consumes venison. I think it would be, even as a hound hunter, I think it would be strange if somebody was, like, did you get your cougar this year? The yeah. way they do your deer or your elk or whatever. Like if you else. were like living off cougar meat. That would be really <laughs> weird. <laughs> like, yeah, I definitely don't. I can't imagine I'm going to start living off cougar meat. Even if you could, it's just, I just like, you know, I'm a specialist, I guess, on prey. But yeah, I, I've been saying I'll never go again. But see, now I have a few bonus points in Montana. You need to go. And I'm even real if- curious about that Sealy Swan area because that's where I saw my first lion. Yeah. And I love that area. Yeah, so I can got, see maybe I'll do me a little lion hunt over there someday. I don't know. You've got tie, and the, you know, the nice thing about lion hunting is you don't have to shoot the cat either. You can run cats and tree cats all week, and yep, it's not. It's a potentially non-consumptive hunt. Yeah, but I'm a pragmatic fellow, man. <laughs> like mount, like mountain climbing. I have like a lot of respect for it, alpinists, but. You know, if I'm going to go up there, there better be a goat up there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Just to go up there and say I did it. It's like, I'll do that kind of stuff. But it's like, like a big motivation for me is, you know, I'm like a practical guy, man. Like, Just set your goal at getting pictures. Yeah, I could. Yeah, it's different than deer and elk, though. Pictures of them are no fun. When you, when you got your first lion hound, was it because what? Because you wanted to have a lion hound or you wanted to get a lion? <laughs> Uh, both. Before I had hounds, I would have like shot a lion if it had walked in front of me while I was deer hunting. Yeah, that has changed. I wouldn't do that now. Um, but I grew up around hounds, and I knew I wanted hounds. So when I got my first dogs, you know, I moved from the Midwest where you're hunting raccoons out here, and the obvious choice here is lions. Um, so once I got dogs, I still hadn't killed a lion um once i got dogs then it was like had to train the dogs had to do all these other things and i knew eventually i was going to catch a lion but it took took a little time before how many I, years i treated lions the first year oh you did oh yeah um not easily uh it was pretty hard it was hard training because the dogs weren't up to it yet or you weren't doing Both. your job i didn't right? know anything i didn't yeah, know what yeah. i was doing um you know i had a couple friends that had been around it and they helped me some um but I didn't have a finished dog to train Whisper. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, out trying to figure out these tracks. Uh, the first year I didn't even have a snow machine. So I was just like park and walk in with snowshoes until I cut a track and start walking with this dog on a leash and try to like pet her when she did things right. And I had a border collie trotting along next to me. I mean, oh, really? it was a, yeah, it was a show. Right? Did you have GPS? Um, the first year I did not. The second year I did. Um, 
And we actually treat a few cats that way. And I had, a, like I said, I had a friend. Just heading out on, striking out on snowshoes and, and getting the, and yep, getting the a dog going. And, but it's a, that's a really, really hard way to do it. And low success rates. I think I treat, you know, one or two that way. Um, I had a Toms friend. or females? Uh, females. Yeah. Which makes sense. They're just more dense, densely populated. Um, and then once, you know, I got, I picked up a couple more dogs and Whisper was coming on and got the GPS and I was starting to feel more like a, like a legit hound hunter after a couple of years. Yeah. Um, but I think I was in it, I don't know, two years or something, three years before I caught that big Tom and it was kind of a special deal the way it all worked out. So that was your first line. That was the first one I killed. Yeah. I try had treat and released several cats before yeah. that. But, what kind of hounds did you grow up with? Uh, English red ticks and blue ticks. That chased. Coons, yep. Yep. When you were running coons, were fur prices good? No. No. We made up for that with quantity. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody was running dogs. Nobody was really trapping much. I think, a lot of raccoons. Yeah, so you're, you know, you're getting 10, 15 bucks a piece or something. But if you had a good night, you had a pile of raccoons. Yeah, we got 400 one year. Yeah. So, yeah. That's pretty good. That was a big year. But then you said your dad has now switched dogs yeah he's running beagles now for rabbits yep no your dad don't hunt stepdad oh okay okay so stepdad's running beagles he uh yeah he's like a non-consumptive hunter now just runs rabbits all day honey runs rabbits with beagles and doesn't shoot the rabbits nope doesn't even take a gun yeah, yeah, yeah. Which brings us all the way back what? around to the whole like Ronnie Bain thing. <laughs> yeah, but why don't the dogs just after a while be like, I'm not hunting this guy anymore? Because they're good dogs. They don't need to catch the rabbit. Just like they don't need to chew on it to, you know, whatever. Well, they like to chew on it. They or do. they like to see it. They get to see it. I'm not blaming the dogs. I don't care. I'm just saying I'm surprised <laughs> that the dogs after a while aren't like, man, you know, work our asses off here and no one's doing anything about it. <laughs> I don't know. I guess they just don't need to. They just like to chase them. Yep. Huh. All day. Yeah. You got anything you want to add? Giannis? <laughs> I added I added that. I, we, Bart and I talked about that earlier. I thought that that was interesting, you know. The non-consumptive rabbit yeah. houndsman. Yeah. This is like just a guy that loves his dogs, loves his hounds, loves the, the chase and the pursuit. And then at the end of the day, it's like, sweet, load up. No cleaning. <laughs> Let's go home. Yeah. I guess he eats chicken breasts. Yeah. It's easy to get permission on private property too if you don't have a gun and you got a dog that's like big enough you put it in your purse. Yeah, you're not that threatening. No. You're not dipping into the game population <laughs> just at all. just out there like standing around in the field and letting the dogs work. Contail permissions. We've had, um, you know, back home in Michigan, we had like really good luck getting contail permissions. Yeah. You're never like really like wanting for cottontail spots because you're hunting in the winter. No one's out after deer. More and more people don't really care about small game. Right. Yeah, yeah. if you can do it during the off season for the big game stuff, nobody nobody's gonna get too no, excited. People about always it. let us hunt rabbits, man. Yeah. Not always, but we had a lot of places to hunt rabbits. You got any uh any final uh, concluding thoughts you want to add, Bart? I, I can just add a little bit to mine. I just Please, I don't I care. Feel like now that we did that hunt, I'm actually more interested in doing one because I sort of had my, um, 
you know, my question, not, not only questions, but just I had these, like, even just explaining that chase part, you know, that like the dogs aren't actually chasing the lion for most of the chase. Yeah, that was a real sticking point for you. Yeah, you were hung up on that for a long time. Yeah, about- well, I feel like because when you talk to people, people just don't understand the, the, yeah they, they think the, the lion's out doing all this evasive activity or he's doing all this evasive activity and like trying to like shake the dogs and yeah. well you hear that too you hear that from you know the groups about like chases the cat to exhaustion till it can't go any further and then it climbs a tree and that's not really accurate I mean, yeah we, we rarely have our, cats panting even they're just standing there yeah our cameramen were like when we kind of brought that up for the first time they're like yeah that's what happens I'm like no <laughs> Oh, see, Absolutely. he's got all these tricks and he's crossing and recrossing yeah. creeks to like lose the dogs where yeah. the red fern grows yeah. kind of stuff. Like, yeah, but, uh, now that that's been cleared up and I'm not really gray about how it all goes down and the fact that we ended up having such a, you know, real pursuit like hunt in the end where it was me, Corey, you and Bruce. And I mean, for falling down the hill i mean i watched Corey roll 10 yards down the hill and somehow protect his camera but you know fully lathered up in sweat you know and we're like halfway through and bruce looks at all of us he's like everybody here all right we gotta really turn it up <laughs> like, make this happen, you know we're like man you know and we had this real pursuit where at the end you're just like Whew. you know oh it was oh. a chase yeah like i mean it was wild and um just because you've, again, I think everybody in their mind has this idea that some old boy just gets out of the pickup truck and walks 10 feet into the woods. And he's like, oh, there's a lion. And just wasn't like that, you know? No. So, um, yeah. I do see myself at some point killing a lion, you know? Yeah. But I'm not like, I should just go ahead and do it right now because I have the opportunity, you know? Yeah. At this point, I think I've spent. Not anywhere close to Bart, obviously, like a like a percent of Bart's time. But I've spent fourteen or fifteen days following lionhounds, and um, caught a lion. Was there for a lion to be caught? And I, through all that, if you were to like put my, um, you know, if you were to put my uh, appreciation for what goes into a lion hunt. On a sort of graph, it would be this like this like line that goes up at a forty five degree angle, like higher and higher and higher for my appreciation for lion hunters and lion hunting, um, just like a steady increase. I never saw any aspect of it that maybe like suspicious of it or be like, you know, it really is just not fair. I mean, it's like it's it, it is a if you're looking at like a challenge thing, a, a skill set. And it'd be different too if you weren't able to hire a guy to do it. I mean, th- guide. I mean, think about it, if it had to be that way. If like when you got a tag or you wanted to go kill a lion, you weren't allowed to do it with a guide. You had to ha- like do it on your own. There'd be no freaking lions getting killed. Oh, yeah. Like you said, it took you, sure you treat a couple that first year, but uh, like think about the effort. Yeah, well, like in a state like right Washington. Now, I had to go grab a couple dogs. Yeah, know? in a state like Washington where you don't have hound hunting for, do- for lions. They basically give away lion tags to everyone that buys a deer. Was it five bucks? Yeah, five bucks. Yeah. Because, you know, and in states where they, in states where you have houndsmen and hound hunting, they're, you're not like, like encouraged to go get your lion thing. In Colorado, you got to pass a test to get a lion tag. I can get behind that. I think you should be able to sex a lion before you are able to go out and hunt them. Yeah. I mean, that's the, 
that's the beauty of the quota system, right? You can you can say this many females, this many males. If you wanted to, you could even assign age classes per unit. Yep. I mean, you can really manage that with a, a lot of precision. Yeah, that's a point we could bring up real quickly is that Washington went from a hound season outlawing hunting with dogs. So now they just give away what, like five bucks for a tag, whatever. Yep. And a lot of lions are getting killed. All like the wrong lions are getting killed. And didn't you say that there's like a group of houndsmen now that are starting to organize to? Um, we've tried that a few times without a lot of success, but you know, there are people um, behind it politically, Democrats behind it politically, Steve. Getting the lion hunts back? Oh yeah, totally. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's got yeah, some bipartisan. Makes you feel all warm toward those fellas. Yeah. Um, now they, we've tried that some. Washington's a weird spot because they've, like I said, they've made hound hunting illegal. Um, as a result, they've really increased the number of hound or of uh, cougar permits, and there's actually more cougars being killed now than before. But the age class and sex has changed. So it used to be like from '91 to '95, I think it was you know 40 percent female uh, were killed. Um, and now it's up like 65 or 70 percent of the cats killed are females, which really impacts the population yeah. more. You know, they're, they're they're the breeding portion of the population. They're important. And you call those guys boot hunters. The boot hunters, not dog hunters. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you. I've read a lot about it, you know, this, the, all the aspects of lions and stuff and talked to a lot of people about it, but it's like, a, um, it's not something that you're going to like really quickly get a grasp on. Ideas of mountain lion hunting, mountain lion management, the differences of how different states view lions. Just from my perspective right now, I think that like, I really like the systems of managing them for longevity as a big game animal. I think if you can remove yourself from sort of this emotional idea about what hounds and lions do and just manage them like a big game animal, like, like Montana does a great job of that. Um, we need this number of cougars killed um, and remove yourself again from that sort of individual idea of the cat and think about the population. Um, we don't care how it happens, but we need, you know, 10 males and 10 females killed from this unit. Go take care of it. Um, that that would be a more wise way to manage them. Yeah, and there's still running targeted predator control. Like if you got a lion that's killing livestock, there's oh, yeah. a lot of ways in which they go after and remove that specific animal. Depending, you know, outside of any kind of season structure. You bet. That big cat that attacked me got killed last week by for attacking goats. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. He, with the uh, collar on him. With the collar on him, they got. I didn't know that. So he's dead now. Yeah, he got tangled up with some goats. He killed five goats in like two or three days, and they called uh, another houndsman to come in and take care of it. And <laughs> he went in to kill this cat. It turned out to be the big mean cat, and it wouldn't tree, and it started after him, and he ended up shooting it right in the point of the nose, basically at point blank range, as it was like coming at him. Some wild... your, did you get your collar back? Uh, the state got the collar back. How far was it from where uh, you guys put the collar on it? Pretty close, within, you know, four or five miles. No shit. Yeah. He's dead. Yeah. Weird, Did you get right? the skull? Yep. I'm going to. You're yeah. going to wind up with it? I've got it. 
go- he wanted me to goat killer. Yep. Yeah, just short time after the collaring. Five goats in a couple of days. Yep. So he was killing them at a faster rate than he was able to eat them. Yeah, he's probably squirreling them away somewhere. Yeah, sticking them under logs and but, shit. Yeah. Uh, all right, man. Bart, once again, thanks for joining us. Yeah, anytime. I don't know. You know, we're gonna. I remember the last time you were on. I was like, you have to come back and talk about lions. I don't know what we're gonna have to have you. <laughs> I'm well, out of things. <laughs> I don't know what we're gonna talk about next. <laughs> I don't know. Either. It'll be something. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk of experiencing an electrical blackout. You could be one of them, sitting in the dark and cold for hours, for days, maybe even weeks. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. These things are sweet. Because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable. Go to 4patriots.com slash meat eater to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4patriots.com slash meat eater.